Today, I want to concentrate on one piano concerto, which I think truly demonstrates Mozart's coming of age as a composer. And I'm joined by the Dutch pianist Ronald Brautigam, playing on a forte piano, very much like the one Mozart would have played, and my own specially concocted period instrument orchestra, Harmony Band. The piece in question is the piano concerto number 20 in D minor, which is one of a set of concerti that Mozart wrote for subscription concerts that he was putting on in Vienna. But this particular concert where this piece was premiered was of utmost importance to Mozart because his father was going to be there. He hadn't seen his father for a number of years. So in many senses, he was wanting to impress. tune in the opening of this extraordinary and very great concerto. This is the hallmark of a musician absolutely at the height of his power, a composer in full control who knows absolutely how to raise the ante, how to create an atmosphere and a situation of almost palpable tension and excitement. What does he do? He creates a non-tune, tunes invariably used to create emotional colour and texture in music. By this time in Mozart's life, doesn't need to write a tune. He creates it purely and simply through this funny little motif, which is syncopated, which is a device he uses a lot in his music, so that it's never actually on the beat, it's just in between the beats, in the cracks, if you like. So we're going to play now just a bit that follows directly from that and see if we can get a sense of the flames being fanned, the building sense of something big that's going to happen. Yeah, good. So with that figure, can we just build it up through? Da-yada, da da down the other side, and then da-yada a bit more. So we just each time, a step more, a step more. Here we go. Then in a minute or two, we get to the second theme of the piece, which is slightly more of a tune, but still not that much. And there's a really plaintive quality to this, the oboe and bassoon entry. The first sense, perhaps, of child talking to father. Good. You get even more sense of falling down onto that bar line. Tardy down. Really, really plaintive. And a bit more now. Where's he going? Good, and then we get an extraordinary line in the violas and cellos and basses and also in the bassoons, a sinewy chromatic line. Again, where's he going? Where's he taking us? And of course, he's just playing with us because he brings us back to D minor. Let's put everyone together on that moment. Now we come on to the first entry of the solo piano. Again, a very plaintive theme, no drums and alarms here at all. What's interesting is that it's not music derived from anything we've so far heard. You know, traditionally in concertos, the orchestra perhaps preview what the soloist then performs. Not so here, a completely new theme. And what's truly remarkable, I think, is the way that it just grows out of the orchestra. Mozart had this phrase he used time and time again, which was il filo, the thread. So there is a sense of absolutely organic, no line broken in the way that the piano joins and the orchestra retreats. We'll play from just before there. Listen to this really lifeless, bloodless theme that you get in the first violins.
once again, we're back with the opening material. He keeps coming back to it. It's like um, a touchstone for this movement as a whole. Now, we had that entry of the woodwind just now with the piano. There's an extraordinary passage later on of dialogue, really genuine dialogue uh, between the winds and the piano, the like of which you wouldn't have heard previously, certainly in the year of the harpsichord, because the harpsichord could never really have made the kind of impression that this newly modified forte piano that Mozart had at disposal in Vienna really could. I'm going to play that again now um, and listen out particularly to what the bassoon is doing as much as anything else. Great thing about wind writing in Mozart's work that it, uh, the winds achieved an emancipation that hadn't been the case before. They were really free to do so much more with the piano in this instance. Now we get to a real excitement point for the solo pianist, the cadenza, which literally means a flourish. Up until just the early Haydn, I suppose, and very early Mozart, cadenzas had always been something which were improvised by the soloist as a chance to show off both their virtuosity, their extraordinary technique, and looking at ways of playing with all the themes which have so far been represented in the piece. Now, by Mozart's time, generally speaking, he's starting to actually write them down to fix them in time, I suppose. But what's exciting about this concerto is that he was in such a hurry to finish it, indeed, with the last movement, apparently the ink was still wet when they gave the performance. They didn't have a chance even to rehearse it. So he inevitably made up his own cadenzas. Beethoven wrote some subsequently, which some performers choose to play with this piece. But to be honest, they sound like from another world. So our pianist, Ronald Bradicum, improvises his own. <laughs> there. Sorry to stop you, Ronald, but it just completely taking us where we think we're about to start again. Always puts the musicians and certainly the conductor on edge. Is this going to be the moment when we rejoin or not? But no, Ronald goes off somewhere else. Again, no powering ending to that movement of which so much has been promised. Now, in the second movement, very specific and interesting, I think, that Mozart chose to call it a romance. And I can only think of one other really obvious time when he uses that title, which is in the slow movement of Eine Kleine Nachtmusik. That was written directly after his father died. So it seems to me that there is some very strong connection. And indeed, if you listen to the opening music, it has an extraordinary, almost nursery rhyme-like quality about it.
notes just melt into the piano once again there. He does it again and again and again. You never get holes unless there's a very deliberate, dramatic reason to have one. Now, we've got almost an episode. It's sort of like an extension of the first theme, this music that the piano has. You see what I mean? There's an absolute sort of nursery-like simplicity about this music. Now, that would be fine. That would create a very elegant, genteel kind of slow movement. The fact that it's called a romance is by what happens afterwards. The most extreme, turbulent music, really like a child having a tantrum. from time to time from the strings and it's absolutely again a sense of well where the hell are we going now and he's kind of saying I don't care the interplay there between the first flute and the first oboe, the most amazing ratcheting up of tension, real kind of dissonance and discord between the two of them in this kind of rage that he's having. <laughs> give up. They just join the strings and play in these great big stabbed chords. All that plaintive music they've been playing, those extraordinary blue notes that you have, particularly in the first bassoon, are gone now. something I think is really extraordinary. It's a bit like this texture now getting us back to the, the first idea, the nursery idea, if you like, is like a machine breaking down. Or perhaps, more appropriately, given the analogy I made about it being like a tantrum, it's like he's got it out of his system. And what he does is creates an extra level of tension by hitting different rhythms against each other, obviously all within the same space of the same beat. But you've got essentially the piano trying every which way to kind of upset or undermine what essentially the woodwind have, which are equal quavers. Yup, but, 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 but. He goes yada da da He goes yada da 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 da. He goes ya pa 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 pa. And finally yo pa pa. So every possible way to bend or to change a rhythm within a concrete structure, just as it winds down. to the opening theme again. It's so often the case in Mozart, I think, that where he achieves extraordinary level of emotional depth, it's in creating contrast between very different types of material. So the opening nursery theme would work perfectly well, but it works doubly well because 
it's fitted against that extraordinary sort of monstrous middle section that somehow the oil that the two give off when placed side by side makes them both much more extreme. Now, the last movement is a mad dash, and a very exciting mad dash at that. Now, do you hear the way he just extends the end of the phrase? Ronald, perhaps you play it for us once again, this time putting in the cadence where it might be obvious. Wouldn't that be nice? But of course, Mozart ups the ante once again by extending the end of it and therefore making you listen. Space there, please, into that first forte dotted minimum. Yep, by da there. Okay, straight in on the orchestral entry, please. Ready and. pure Beethoven. This is exactly the kind of texture that Beethoven is justly famous for, creating an absolute frisson of energy and excitement out of just little kind of semitonal clashes. So then if we add the winds and brass over the top of that, you really get the sense of something that's building somewhere really extraordinary. of the piano here, again, new material, but interestingly, it's exactly the same chord structure as that first entry in the first movement, a wonderful sense of Mozart referring back to what we remember having heard before. Let's hear the two side by side. So by doing that, by putting those two themes so close together, he's ensuring that the audience are really listening, that they're engaging with their heads as well as their hearts. Now, the second subject in this movement is, well, it undergoes three transformations, very, very subtle ones, but enough to sort of distort it and change its character. The first one you get is in the nice sunny key of F major. Now listen to it, clothed in D minor. Did you hear how he sharpened it? Let's play it once more. And there's one more transformation, which is in the last episode of the whole movement where it's once more in the major, but it sounds curiously different. Let's do it with the bassoon. There's something sort of forcedly jubilant about that, which we'll explore a bit more in a minute. I wanted to talk again about dialogue. Dialogue now very specifically between three players, between the piano, the flute, and the bassoon. Again, unimaginable, really, before Mozart. And of 
course, that works extraordinarily well on its own, but Mozart just makes it that much more brilliant by adding a kind of mist of harmony, sort of gossamer harmony in the strings, just, just on the edge of hearing. Let's play it once more. Now, there's another mighty cadenza in this movement. Very exciting it is too, I know, because I've heard more or less improvisation already that we're going to hear. But at the end of the cadenza, he comes back to the theme, exactly as you'd expect, but without the orchestra, which is not what you'd expect. And then he leaves us on a cliffhanger. diminished chord could kind of lead anywhere. What he does is creates a coda which is starkly jolly, if you see what I mean. It's in the major key. We're going to play it slightly quicker than the overall pulse of the movement, so it only helps to underline that sense that it's like, okay, Dad, everything is okay now. I've shown you my box of tricks, the good, the bad, the pretty, and the ugly. And now we're just going to have rather a trite but sweet ending. complete this kind of nursery world analogy, this small child inside, you get these extraordinary toy trumpet moments, again, sort of out of the nursery, which come from nowhere, feel very bizarre, and I think can only be really understood in the light of this view. Here they come. So that's my view of this extraordinary concerto of Mozart. Of course, you're free to make up your own mind, and as Ronald Brattigan, Harmony Band, and myself perform it complete now, hopefully you'll have a chance to crystallize your own ideas. Mozart on the very top of his form, in full command of every aspect of the language. The piece of succession of moments when he's saying, look at this, look at that, look what I can do, essentially. Uh, it's resourceful, it's rich, inspired from beginning to end, and yet also, as I hope I've managed to show, an organic whole. But for me, more than ever, it connects with the child within, all the tantrums and fury and love that goes with it. Mozart's D minor piano concerto.